Good afternoon and welcome to Optimizing Your Help Desk. To support a remote workforce, a health system CIO Media Inc. production sponsored by Team Dynamics. Just a little housekeeping before we get started. My name is Anthony Guerra. I'm the editor-in-chief of Health System CIO, and I will be your moderator today. We're looking forward to your participation. Um, you can send in your questions or comments at any time in the Q&A box, and we'll take them later in the program. And we'll do a little audience poll later to get you involved and get some of your opinions. Nice way to view the screen today is click on the top center, get it in side-by-side -side mode. Then you can adjust the divider to get the video boxes and the slides the size you want them. And it should say speaker view in the top right-hand corner. Just so you see how we're going to spend our time today. First, we're going to go about 35 minutes or so with our main panel discussion featuring David Mitchell, Enterprise Application Administrator with Western University of Health Sciences, Matthew Wright, Technical Support Manager with the same organization, and Andrew Graff, Chief Product Strategist and Co-Founder with Team Dynamics. And then we will have our Q&A. So let's jump right into the conversation. Um, David, let's start with you. Can you give us an overview of your organization and your role? Yeah, sure. Hi, I'm David Mitchell. I'm Enterprise Applications Administrator at Western University of Health Sciences. We are a medical university located about 30 minutes east of Los Angeles. Um, it was started in the 1970s as a um, school of osteopathic medicine, and it has since evolved into having other programs such as pharmacy, veterinary, optometry, you name it, it's probably there. Um, my role at the university is uh, enterprise application administrator, as I said, and I am the main team dynamics administrator for the university. And I am also um, an administrator for Microsoft 365. Very good, Matthew, uh, your role and anything else you want to add about the organization? Sure. So my name is Matthew Wright. I am the technical support manager. Been here at Western Year for about 10 years, worked my way up from being an on-site technician all the way to where I am as manager now. Um, as far as our organization, a couple of things that uh, I'll add on to what Dave said is we do have a um, patient care center on campus, fairly large. We have a couple satellite clinics throughout the Southern California region. Um, we're known for our interprofessional education program, which means all of our vets and podiatry and dentistry will work on cases together, um, which is kind of unique and what we're somewhat known for. Uh, we have a lot of programs, uh, like Dave said, between all the doctor programs, we have uh, certificate programs, nursing, all kinds of different things. So we have our hands in a lot of stuff. Um, we are customers of 4,000 students, 1,300 employees, and upwards of 20,000 alumni. So uh, from a help desk standpoint, we always have phone calls and we are always busy uh, with a lot of things that we're providing support for. Very good, very good. Andrew? Yeah, sure, um, thank you. So Andrew Graff, I'm Chief Product Officer with Team Dynamics, and we're a cloud software company that focuses on service management software for IT, but other areas of service as well, you know, whether it be facilities, legal, uh, marketing, other uh, clinical services, and project portfolio management. So our platform supports leading public and private sector organizations. We have a specialty in healthcare. We also have an integration and automation platform that allows organizations to save a lot of time and headache by automating processes that are manual and require effort. Uh, I'm sure that uh, most of you on the webinar are not flush with excess resource time to get things done. So we focus a lot on that automation piece too. Very good. All right, let's get into it. Matthew, we're going to start with you. Talk about how COVID impacted uh, both your clinicians and non-clinicians in terms of remote work, telehealth, et cetera. 
Uh, yeah, so safe to say had a huge impact like the majority of the world. Um, I mentioned we're a medical university. So because of that, we kind of had our ear to the ground. I remember conversations um, and meetings being had early January about, hey, what are we going to do if this comes, you know, stateside type of thing. So uh, the good news for us, we were preparing for weeks. Um, I remember ho holding a training the week that we closed down, which now look in, in retrospect was kind of crazy. We had 100 plus people in a room training them how to use VPN, before we went off campus and then basically three days later, four days later went off campus. Uh, I can't imagine that at this point, but uh, it, it affected us. We'd closed our entire campus down. Um, we were basically told to stay home on a Thursday night. Uh, we had IT come in Friday and by Monday morning, we were expected to be up and running um, basically fully. So the only things that didn't close were our clinics um, because we had patients coming in for those. Um, but we, uh, we switched to classrooms pretty much immediately or virtual classrooms pretty much immediately with, uh, with the Zoom. Uh, a lot of things that were beneficial, if not critical in allowing us to do that was having an ITSM in place. Um, Team Dynamics is, is the one that we certainly use. Um, having KBs, knowledge bases, uh, training, a service catalog, those were essential to allowing us to have a quick turnaround and going basically from a Friday to a Monday to be up and running. And then Dave mentioned some other things that we use a lot here, uh, a VPN, Microsoft 365, um, being Zoom customers for years before people even knew what Zoom was and use it as a, <laughs> a verb instead of a noun, um, that was tremendous for us. Um, currently, we have kind of light staff on campus, um, some on-site technicians. We're fully operational at our clinics. Um, that is just as busy, if not busier than before. Um, we've switched to a lot of things for uh, from the help desk side. We do like laptop drop-offs through a locker system instead of um, physical people on, in, in campus anymore. Um, we have offsite support. We're uh, moving our students over to, if anyone's familiar with the LA area, the LA Fairplex, we have our students in one of the giant buildings. They're separated out by 10, 15 feet in between so we can do some of the hands-on things. And then as far as our, our health clinics go, again, they're pretty much up and running as normal other than a lot of COVID safety measures. Um, and then some of the things we're doing from an IT standpoint is, so use an example of our optometry, our um, uh, eye care center or eye care institute, I should say. Back in the past, because we had students on rotations in there, we would have two students and a doctor as well as a patient in a room. And these are small eight by eight, 10 by 10, you know, rooms that we're having patients in. Uh, not super conducive, obviously, with uh, with the pandemic going on and with having people in classrooms. So we've had to leverage technology and we have put basically one student in there in person, one patient in there, and then everything else is switched to Zoom. So we have a screen in there, we have a webcam in there, and then there is a doctor that comes in on the Zoom. There's another student that comes in on the Zoom taking notes and, and speaking with them. So a lot of things have switched. Um, we can talk about it in, in depth, but that's kind of a quick overview of a lot of the things that have changed and affected us here at the uh, the university. Very good, David, your thoughts? Yeah, um, you know, before the whole, or we decided to get Team Dynamics, we had kind of an old school um, ticketing system as a fat client had to be installed on local machine, only worked on Windows, no service catalog, et cetera, et cetera. Um, then, you know, we transitioned into Team Dynamics and I, I think that's been, uh, a huge help, especially during this pandemic, uh, because of the knowledge base, because of the self-service aspect, we have employees that are going in and finding out answers on their own, submitting their own requests and not inundating our tech support staff um, with questions or um, issues that could have, they could easily solve on their own or get help elsewhere. Not that we're not trying to help people, but just in this remote world, you have more people coming to us for assistance with various things that we never would have been assisting with before, as Matthew mentioned, such as the VPN or some of these other services. But uh, I think Matthew pretty much hit the nail on the head with the challenges we've been facing as far as uh, you know getting class up and running and the logistics and all the things that were all the hoops we have to jump through to uh, make it work, especially as he mentioned with medical, we've been watching this whole situation a lot closer than probably a lot of institutions had going back to last January. And I think that's kind of put us um, a little bit ahead of the curve in some respects. Um, and I, I believe that, you know, a lot of our management has handled it well. And with the technology we're using, it's, it's helped make it as, as smooth as possible. 
Very good. Andrew, what are your thoughts? Yeah, sure. So, you know, I'll echo what both David and Matthew have said. Our customers saw a massive increase in inbound demand. I mean, you've got an environment that is much less controlled when you are now working from home and people are using new technology. So, I mean, I think, I think it was fair to say most of our IT-focused customers were, you know, inundated at that point. So I think, you know, I'll take a little bit different angle on this question. What we have seen in response are greater focuses in two main areas. We have seen a much bigger focus being placed on self-service. So our customers working on providing content and mechanisms for people to resolve their own requests or get the information they need. And I'll really break that down into two areas. The first is establishing uh, what we call a client portal or a repository of knowledge. And typically what we find is that about 80% of the demand is for 20% of the services. So we see customers focusing on the low hanging fruit first. And, you know, I think the other part of this, the second part of self-service is knowledge-centered service. KCS is something we're seeing really take off. Uh, that is not Team Dynamics. Our Team Dynamics solution supports KCS, but KCS is a systematic way to build and improve knowledge content. And highly recommend, highly recommend that. It's not a huge investment to get people trained, but that is a really good way to build that. The, the second part of what we've seen clients doing is a focus on automation. So where there have been in the past, you know, the time, there was the time available to complete processes manually that are either arduous or, you know, menial, that's not the case anymore. So we're seeing a lot of customers turn to automation to fulfill the types of requests that can be fulfilled in an automated way. That allows the technicians who are who are working hard to focus on higher priority items. And it also reduces the delay. So, you know, an example would be somebody's having a problem with, um, somebody's having a problem and they're in the office, it might be an easier way to resolve, to get a resolution than from being at home. So if we can somehow automate that or allow a technician to serve them more quickly because they're not doing the queue of work that is now automated, that's a very good thing. So I think those two things are what we've, are, are what we've seen our clients respond to this situation with. So better self-service and automation. Those are the two, two pillars we're seeing right now. Uh, I'll tag on and, to something Andrew said. So we, we went into Team Dynamics probably a year, year and a half maybe before pandemic started, if I'm remembering the timeline correctly. Um, one of the big things we invested in is the knowledge base, just like Andrew was saying. That was something that was honestly easy for us to just assign technicians to every week complete a knowledge base article. We had a reasonably robust um, internal wiki, but it was not accessible by customers. So over the course of you know probably a year, six months before pandemic hit, we really ramped up our knowledge base. Um, that became critical to our success because we were able to allow, kind of like Andrew said, we had an influx of people calling in, emailing in, struggling with things they needed to get done. And it felt like 80% of the things they were asking about, we already had knowledge base articles for. So we were able to quickly turn around an email or turn around a ticket that said, well, here's how you set up VPN. Well, here's how you get onto your email. Well, here's how you check your voicemail remotely. So having that ahead of time it was was absolutely mission critical for us and then kind of the ease of the knowledge base so before we had a lot of things that were one internal they were wiki so it was kind of wiki markup language it was semi html type of thing where you need to know a little bit of what you're doing now with the with the knowledge base that um, the team dynamics provides it's pretty much WYSIWYG. you just type it up it looks like word you're good to go um, that is allowing us to have anyone in it to update an article anyone in it to make an article so the barriers that we had before to getting that information out to people even those have been reduced which has become necessary in the pandemic because as we've all seen things change day to day week to week so you know between pandemic things changing and technology which is normal changing um 
getting that information out to our customers right away and having kind of live documents with the KBs has been uh, a tremendous help for us. So I'd like to touch on a couple of things that, that you talked about. Um, you mentioned the wiki, and that was only available to internal, that was not available to customers. So there's a problem right there. Um, it, it, ha it probably has a lot to do with the setup. A knowledge base is not a knowledge base. If you're directing people there, as you mentioned, they have to be able to navigate to find what they need. If they can't, then it doesn't matter. So what's the difference between a usable knowledge base and a poorly constructed knowledge base where people, it, it's almost useless because people can't find what they need. Anybody want to comment on that? I, I can comment on that. Um, yeah. I think a poorly constructed knowledge base is a lot more structured and hierarchical structured than what we see with TM Dynamics. One of the first things that we talked about with TM Dynamics probably before we even purchased them was treating the knowledge base and treating the service catalog as a, a Google in a sense. Mm -hmm. Don't expect your customers to go, okay, well, I have a hardware issue, click on hardware. Well, now I have a Mac hardware issue, click on Apple. Well, now I have a, you know, this issue. People don't want to drill down. They don't have time for that. We live in a Google-centric world. They want to go to one web page and they want to search for Mac, hardware, printer, whatever that may be. So that, I think, has been success because, again, one, just having it accessible to our customers is obviously first step. But the second step is getting it into their hands as quickly as possible. So we are constantly tweaking our knowledge base as well as our service catalog to make things easier to find and pretty much telling our employees and our customers and our students that treat it like Google, just go in there, search for what you need for, because not only do they realize, they, sometimes they don't realize they're searching both through a, cat, a service catalog to find things they may need to request, but through a knowledge base uh, that they may be able to find their own answers. So that's how I think it's been successful for us is just not treating it kind of the old school structured way and relying on everyone to find it. But the beauty of that too is for those of us that are a little bit more structured, certainly me and a lot of us in IT, I still like to drill down and find it, and that option is there for our customers. So now you, you get a tool that, that's the Team Dynamics tool, which is the knowledge base architecture, but you have to put in the articles, right? I mean, you're the one, you're, your IT shop has to now manage that body of knowledge, write those articles, and make sure they're effective. So do you have a methodology for figuring out how effective the knowledge base is? So, for example, someone attempts to use the knowledge base. Did that solve their problem, meaning we didn't hear from them again? Well, we don't know. If we, if we, if we they're either going to call into the help desk then and say, you know, your article didn't help me. You need a better article. Or they just quit and they, they don't solve their problem. Or it solves their problem. Is there a way that you ultimately know the outcome of that, of that, you know, directing someone there. I'll touch on this a little bit. I think Andrew probably has some input on it as well. Yep. Uh, there are some built-in mechanisms with Team Dynamics. So there is a simple, was this useful? Yes or no. Um, if it's yes, then, you know, we can use that as a metric. If it's a no, it also does provide them to provide some, hey, this, this was not clear. I don't know what's going on. Just some verbiage in there. Uh, the way we have that structured is that goes to an internal kind of TDX, Team Dynamics admins that we look at, we can review, and then we can go back to those knowledge-based articles and go, oh yeah, that wasn't very clear, or this is more you know, technician-focused and not as less customer-focused. So that's how we've used it thus far. Um, obviously, that's not 100% because not everyone wants to go in and rate it, um, but generally, we perhaps assume that you know, if, they're, if they, they're not saying it's terrible, they're not saying it's great, uh, you know, they're kind of that bell curve and right in the middle, um, but that's how we have used it thus far. Yeah, I'd be happy to add to that. So I think that there's a couple couple points. And back to the last topic, I just want to throw one thing in. I think it's really important for knowledge content to be indexed by Google. So if somebody types your organization name and then some subject, that those knowledge-based those knowledge articles appear because that's what people are doing. You know, that's what your physicians, that's what people who are in your facilities are going to first try to do. So I think that's really important. Secondly, when it comes to whether or not something's been helpful or not, I totally agree with Matthew. You have the ability to you know, get direct feedback, but also surveying is fairly important. And what we'll often do is 
work with clients to, or they'll work through our tool to look at, to look at requests that could have been resolved with a knowledge base article, but we're not. And then you figure out why, why is that? Now KCS, I think knowledge centered services very important because one of the main tenets is every request should be associated with a piece of knowledge, either something that existed or we create something new so that we're constantly building yeah. that. And there's also a feedback loop. You're looking for improvement. So as you know, Matthew said, you get a piece of negative feedback. We're reviewing those articles and improving them on a continual basis. Uh, and I can tell you that several of our knowledge base articles are top hits on Google now when you throw certain keywords and um, our students and employees have just found those and I, I kind of chuckle at that that oh that's that's our own article I've searched for things and found it on there so uh, I do see that in action. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me that um, you, you know Matthew does this is this a new skill. Uh, managing a body of content like this? I mean, you know, technical people in IT, they, they used to have to fix stuff, right? But this is almost like you're becoming, in a sense, becoming a librarian of knowledge. You have to, someone has to know how to write things for the layperson who's not super technically oriented. Someone has to look at an article and say, nobody but someone in IT is going to understand this. So it's just a whole new skill set, but it's so critical to being able to service your customers without a billion person help desk, right? I, I think it's a new skill set for perhaps help desk, but I don't think it's a new skill set for IT. There's always been the need for technical writers. Uh, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's something that has always been there. We have been lucky and flourished through this because we literally have a couple of people that have technical writing skills, uh, degrees in some of that thing. I, I'm fairly skilled in, in doing some of that and and that has helped out tremendously as well so um for me even when i hire people within help desk i'm looking for people that have superb communication skills both written and verbal and having hired that way you know over the last 10 years has benefited me tremendously as we've gone through uh, team dynamics uh, and, and and started with them so you know that's something that like you said it it perhaps is a new skill set for the help desk crew but i think as an it overall communication and written and verbal skills are always going to be in demand. Yeah, very interesting. Um, the process uh, that you mentioned of creating these articles and then the continuous improvement, what Andrew mentioned about every request should create an action. Uh, we should either know that article is effective or we should know that article needs to be improved or we should know an article needs to be written. Um, but every single inquiry, you know, should have an effect on our knowledge. And, so. and I will mention within Team Dynamics, there is the ability to um, link a knowledge base article to every closed ticket. So we have not reached the point where we're forcing that to happen, but I certainly mm -hmm. have been in other webinars where that's the norm, where a ticket is closed, you use an existing article. If one does not exist, um, it's assigned out for someone to make. We're not quite to that point yet, but we, I have used it already to run metrics and see which articles are getting closed out um, more often than not. Be, and, and, and that's helped us kind of guide some of the, uh, the KBs and the, the knowledge centered service as well. All right, very good. Let's uh, move on. Um, David, I think I'll force you to go first on this one just because we haven't heard much from you. So I'm going to force you, okay? Um, how would you describe the difference between what it's like to run a help desk before COVID versus today and discuss the differences is volume, complexity, and, and I think maybe the most interesting one, Kohler's stress level. Um, you know, someone's at home, they, the kids aren't in school, the kids want them to help with the homework, they can't figure out how to do something for work. It's, it's quite a stress ball at home these days, it can be. Well, since you uh, wanted to call on me again, I'll do my best to answer this question. But as Matthew being the uh, help desk manager. All right, fine. To this. Fine, give it to Matt. Fine. Whatever you want to do, David, whatever you want no, to I do. Can, I can talk a little bit from what Start I've seen. David, I'll, I'll tag in after. From, from my perspective, um, I don't really deal with uh, end users that much. Most of the, the stuff I do on campus has to deal with um, within internally within IT. However, I've had to... Um, change the way I do things a lot and work with people to uh, specifically mostly with um, setting things up in team dynamics and then now I pass. Uh, 
it, it's it's been a little bit different, you know, setting up before you just set up a you know meeting or you walk over to someone's desk or whatever you wanted to do, and you can't really do that anymore. You may call someone on Teams. Um, so as far as running what I've done before um, for me assisting employees, it, it's been a little bit um, different. I would say for me, the volume has kind of remained the same. I know from the help desk perspective, because I do work with them a lot, that the volume has, has gone up as we've discussed a little earlier, a lot with a lot of um, new issues people are calling or writing in for regarding VPN or some, um, we get a lot of questions about or assistance from Microsoft services. Uh, SharePoint's a big one now because a lot of people are using SharePoint. So a lot of people have been adjusting and going back to the knowledge base, we try to have you know these things available for our customers to, to do self-service, to help yourself. Uh, but just due to the nature of you know what's going on in the world, there, there's a lot of things that people may not have known that we have, and now it's an advantage to them. And mm -hmm. now they need to learn how to use it or they don't, or they have a question or they're having a, a legitimate technical issue. So I, I do think the, um, the volume um, has gone up a little bit. And I know the call, the time on a call for a help desk has gone up um, a few minutes compared to what it was before COVID. And I'll let Matthew jump into that one since he's got a lot more metrics on that. Yeah, I can speak on what Dave said. So it's it's the same old problems with new challenges. So the the layer and complexity of problems has greatly increased. So you know Dave spoke on that and to kind of give you some metrics. So um, the the same time frame, basically a March um, of last or March of 2019 to March of or February of 2020, we had about a four and a half minute average call time. Um, running that same time period, basically 2020 to 2021, we're almost at nine minutes. So wow. we have doubled just straight out, we have doubled the average call time. Um, and then looking at total calls, our total calls have gone down. Um, we had about 15,000 calls in that same time period to about 11,000 calls. So it hasn't gone down a ton, um, but certainly the call time has. So I attribute that to complexity of issues. Before when someone called up, they were nine times out of 10 calling from their desk and they had the standard Dell computer that we supplied to them hooked to a reliable um, network on campus that you know everything was easy to diagnose. Now we get people that are calling in and they may not have a Western U issued computer. They may be working off a computer that they're sharing with their son or their daughter for school. And they may have um, unreliable ISP, unreliable um, internet at home. So the scope of support, what we provided has, I mean, ballooned. I, I couldn't even put a number on it. Tenfold, I, I would say, is not an exaggeration, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we were pretty... We were pretty uh, defined in what we supported and what we didn't support. Even on campus, there were things that we didn't do from a help desk standpoint. You know, we did basic software. We didn't do a ton of hardware. You know, you need your screen replaced. You, you go to the vendor. Um, we did some basic things, but now we help with anything. I mean, it's kind mm -hmm. of, you know, the, the you talked about the caller stress level. We don't want to be like, well, I can't help you with your home internet. Good luck with that. Now it's my <laughs> technicians going to, you know, whitefence.com or verizon.com and going, well, looks like you got 20 down, you could probably up for $10 more a month and get 100 down, that's going to be useful to you. That has nothing to do with with tech support, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, Dave and I both being technicians at one point in our careers and moving up through through the ranks, if you will, we know more than anybody, even in the past, half of tech support was therapeutic. Someone would call up and they would want to tell you about the issue that they were having before they told you the actual issue. Um, you'd get a you'd get a story of how they came to get this computer and why they ended up taking this class. And you kind of had to listen to that. And just to get to the point where they're like, Hey, I have a virus. Okay. So that has added to the call times that has added to the complexity. Um, everyone has a story. Everyone wants to tell you what's going on, how it's being challenging for them working at home. And, you know, something that, that we strive for at Western U it's within our motto is kind of a humanistic approach. So, you know, we don't want to cut people off. We listen to that and we work through it, but that kind of helps us provide, um, uh, in my opinion, superior level of support that maybe not every help desk is able to offer. I think that's fascinating. And I think you're, you're right on with your approach that, and that's got to be taken into account when you see the call times are going up. Well, here's why. And we're not going to do what somebody might suggest to get those down. We're not going to cut people off. 
you know, we're not going to be abrupt. We're not going to say, I can't help you with that. If, if you could, you know, if you could at least direct them, you mentioned to different places. So I think that's such a great um, way to approach things. Andrew, you want to jump in with anything there? You know, I don't have a whole lot to add to, to this particular one. I think though I do the one place I would, I would focus here is again, we're seeing a bigger and bigger opportunity for automation to come into play where people expect immediacy. They want immediacy. Uh, so when we can automate actions that again, frees up more resources to spend more time like Matthew and David were saying on customers who really need it. So that's that I, I see that as a, as a continuing theme. Can you give me a specific example, Andrew, uh, of something where automation might solve a typical problem that a health system might experience? Sure. Someone calls in the help desk. Thanks. Sure. I need access to a new system for my job, right? I uh, changed my name. I am now part, I just changed positions. And now that there's a bunch of associated things that I need, well, I should be given, those should be provisioned to me in an automatic 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 fashion those are two a couple prime examples dave may be able to give a good example about our vpn that literally is live that we set up with team dynamics in the last couple of weeks here oh dave? yes yes um so as andrew had mentioned a little while ago uh you know a lot of places are focusing on automation as well during this time um we've been working with team dynamics and uh using their newer platform iPass, which is an automation platform. Um, we're still in the early stages, we're still in training, so we, we're not experts, but we have set up um, some basic integrations to help our help desk uh, with some of these requests, uh, just automated. And going back to the VPN, the way our VPN set up, and I don't know the technical reason why it's set up the way it is, or if it's right or wrong, I just know how it works. And um, the users have to be added to a specific Active Directory group um, to gain access, which are, um, I think we have a Palo Alto, you know, the group, the Palo Alto reads, okay, people that are in this group, they're fine to access. So what I did on the back end is we have a form with Team Dynamics where users go request um, VPN access. Once their manager approves it, um, the Team Dynamics workflow reaches out to IPASS and says, hey, find this person and put them in this group. So that's cutting out a step from tech support. They do not, they no longer have to add, even though it's a simple step, it takes two seconds to add someone to a group in Active Directory. Anyone who uses AD knows that, but still it's just something they don't have to worry about. Um, and that's kind of our goal is to, uh, to automate a lot of things that uh, the help desk does that are kind of repetitive or that maybe we can have a customer help themselves a little bit more with the automation. Um, so these are, you know, who knows how much longer we're gonna be in this kind of situation working remotely, but we're trying to do everything we can to help make the life easier for tech support as well, not just our customers. And to put some kind of numbers to that, that's probably 10 minutes saved for each technician every time that request come through. Um, now we're real close to having that to a technician does not touch that ticket whatsoever. Customer requests VPN, workflow has their manager approve it through Team Dynamics, through iPass, they are um, added to the proper AD group, their computer is added to a remote desktop users group, and then they're notified. And then there's a KB article that says, here's how you do that. My technicians never touch that. So um, I can't tell you how tremendous that is saving 10 minutes per request. Um, when I have a finite amount, everyone has a finite amount of resources available to them. That sounds pretty slick. I like that. Very nice. I want to get to a few uh, audience questions that have come in. Um, how do you manage to support remote users at home with any issues they experience, especially the need to print out documents at their home printer? Um, Matthew? Yeah, I can discuss that. Um, <laughs> Dave and I, at, at one point in our careers and even now, have been in charge of kind of printing. I'm in charge of student printing. We've been in charge of the print server at the university. So we have a love-hate, and by love, I mean hate, relationship with printers. <laughs> So one is simply discouraging it. Um, you know, we work at a medical university with uh, patient health information, 
um, personal identifiable information. So honestly, we try to discourage the use of printers as much as possible, but that's not realistic. So what we do is we try to provide them with alternate avenues. Something that has been huge for us is Microsoft 365, specifically SharePoint and specifically OneDrive. So something that in the past someone would print out, they would share around the office, they would send through via email. Um, we have forced and encouraged people to move over to um, digital resources such as, as OneDrive, such as collaboration like that. That has helped out tremendously. Um, we do have some people using printers. We do have people that have sent printers home, but it is actually a a mission of the university to reduce that um, just from a kind of an ecological standpoint to reduce our environmental kind of impact. Um, but realistically, moreover, from a security standpoint, because again, I mentioned we're, we're a live um, patient health um, center and we have a lot of information that we don't want printed out. So uh, we try to put it in the right places, whether that be a electronic medical record or whether that be a OneDrive or a SharePoint that has kind of auditing built into it. Um, so that's kind of the one way that we have done that. Um, we do support them, but we, we limit what they're able to do and how they're able to print. But ultimately you do, if somebody says, I need to print this at home, you make it happen. Ultimately we do. Um, we try to make it happen in a hardware provided by us. So hopefully they're using a Western U computer, hopefully they're using a Western U printer. And if that's the case, it makes it a little bit easier, but I 100% guarantee you, I have got calls from people that are using a home computer and using a home printer and they need to, need to and or want to print out stuff. Um, so we go through the extra steps of supporting that, which you know goes to show why we went from four and a half minutes to <laughs> nine, 10 minutes sometimes. So uh, it's, oh, where's your printer? Oh, it's on the other side of the house. Uh, let's, you know, let's go set it up. Oh, you're out of toner. Here's where you can oh, buy it. Boy. So, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. those are realistic calls. They are hundred percent realistic <laughs> paper calls. Paper jam. Every Matthew, day, yeah. paper jam. Paper jam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So David, are... anything on the printer, David, or, or is that? Well, I'm thinking of paper you know? jam, they, they might as well just go down to Best Buy and buy a new printer since they're cheap oh enough God. these days. But uh, yeah, they're... Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I don't uh, really have a whole lot to do with the printers or the supporting. So I'm pretty sure Matthew covered that subject well. All right, next audience question. That's a good one. Uh, next audience question. Have any of you augmented with technical writers? The SD uh, service desk team is overwhelmed with significant call volumes, which continue to increase as vaccine sites ramp up. So the question is, have you augmented with technical writers? Uh, yes, but internally. So like I mentioned in a previous comment, we have been... Um, Lucky, blessed, hired well, whatever you want to call it. We had people that literally had that as um, as a degree, technical writing that, that we were able to lean on. Um, pretty much, I think half the people, if not more at Western U are now in some sort of capacity of a 10 to 25% working on something um, COVID vaccine related. So uh, we have... We've reached out to a lot of people of your university. We have a lot of um, well-educated people working in higher education that uh, can provide kind of that technical writing and that uh, those writing skills. So yes, we have not anyone professional necessarily outside of our university, but we have certainly augmented what we're doing. And, and you know, it's not a surprise that there's a lot of people at the university that aren't able to do the job the same way they did. We have been extremely lucky and extremely fortunate at Western U that we have not had any sort of layoffs or downsizing or anything. Um, but what that is, is we've allowed other people to pretty much do jobs that they were not doing at all before. Um, so that's something that we have taken advantage of and kind of been lucky enough to participate in that, you know, maybe somebody you were working at the bookstore before and bookstore is not really a thing anymore. And so now you're working, um, you know, writing, answering questions, helping out with knowledge base articles, a uh, variety of things. So yes, we have, but we've looked internally to uh, accomplish that. Andrew, you, you, you know, you've got the tool right? You, sure. you provide the framework, the tool for the knowledge base. Do you have any advice? Do you offer services, best practices around building that out? Uh, sure. I mean, uh, we, we certainly have people, uh, professional services staff to assist with this. I, I think that knowledge-centered service is the first place to start and investigate if you're looking to build a knowledge base. Like I said, it's relatively an inexpensive investment. It gives people a career path because there are different levels. 
And it also addresses some of the writing issue as well, because what it relies on is a technician doing their best to create the knowledge base article. And then it goes through a review. So we're not necessarily starting from scratch. Now, for the initial, for the initial effort, what we typically advise is look at your top 15 requests by volume and create knowledge content or automations that will address those and engage your customers to make sure that what you've created makes sense to them. We've talked a lot about, you know, Matthew had a perfect example where the hierarchy of having a technical problem. Okay. I'm having a problem with an Apple product. Okay. I'm having a problem with my Mac. That makes logical sense from a technical perspective, but for a customer of ours, they just need help. They don't want to do that. It needs to be in their terms. Like my laptop won't work, right? That's what they're saying to themselves. So I think using the customers to, to help with that initial knowledge load to, to make sure your message is on point and is going to resonate is one of the biggest steps that I see skipped. And I think it's one of the most impactful to actually get it right the first time. I'll tag one thing onto that that has proved useful as well. So obviously resources are always limited. You know, we may be lucky enough to reach internally. Certainly the, the person that questioned or had that question has, you know, probably a resource allocation issue. Something that has saved, you know, a little bit of time each time we do it is within Team Dynamics, we've set up templates that um, you don't have to completely start from a blank page. I, mm -hmm. I 100% am one of those people that if I see a blank page, it takes me, it's like, oh, where do I start? What do I do? But if there's a framework there, if it's something that I can edit, then that's a lot easier for me. And a lot of other people are like that as well. So for two reasons, we have the templates. One, it keeps everything looking nice and pretty and it's uh, matching so that if Dave writes an article or Matthew writes an article, more or less they look the same. The content is simply different, um, but that saves time as well. You don't have to start from scratch and completely uh, start from a blank page there. You've got half of it already done because you've got heading one, heading two. It's all in the same, you know, colors and format that we have. So that's proven useful for us here at Western U having the, the templates within Team Dynamics. Um, Matthew, what do you think, what's your advice for someone uh, who listens to this call, uh, this webinar, who wants to investigate a tool, a software tool? Either they're on something else, maybe they don't love it, or they're not on anything. I don't know if that's uh, out there. But what's your advice when you go shopping? What are you looking for? What should a tool be able to do? And if it can't do X, don't get it. What are your thoughts around that? I think like anything, you need to do your homework. You need to understand your internal processes and you need to understand what you actually want. Um, and then kind of on top of that, you need to look for something that's able to scale with you. So when we started this game, we were looking for a tool to pretty much do ticketing. That's what we had before. We had ticketing within an older system. Um, we hadn't looked at, a, at an ITSM or any sort of ticketing system for pretty much my whole tenure here, probably about 10 years of using that old of a system. So when we started looking at this, we realized, oh my goodness, everything offers KVs, everything offers, um, you know, all kinds of workflows, functions. So that right there was amazing to us. But then as we started looking at specific tools, there were things that aligned well with us. So again, I mentioned we started with ticketing just for this, but this has exploded at Western U. And thanks to Team Dynamics, we were able to kind of pivot with them. When we started this, it was simply for about 60 people within our IT department and one application. We, in less than a year, had a site license for the entire university and now have over a dozen different applications in there. We have our registrar in there. We have our facilities crew in there. Um, we have uh, patient care stuff in there. We're, everything is scaled up. So I, I would say, look at what you're doing now, but look at where you're going as well and find a tool that can scale with you. We were wise enough and lucky enough to come across Team Dynamics and they were able to scale with us. Um, and then even talking about kind of the iPass tool, that's something that we didn't have on horizon, but something that came up that has been able to again, scale with the processes that we needed to do. Um, some of our most challenging things we do at Western U and certainly probably at a lot of institutions and enterprises is multi-departmental processes. So things that involve HR, things that involve IT, things that involve student services. Um, traditionally in the past, those were an email that went around that, okay, 
uh, Dave has now been promoted to, you know, president of the university. Okay, what do we got to change his account? We got to change his permissions. HR has to notify. We're looking at ways that we can integrate those into one form that kicks off and hits multiple entities within the university. So um, definitely do your homework and definitely find something that can scale with where you see your institution in a few years. All right, Andrew, I want to uh, ask you a question, and then we're going to go to sort of final thoughts. My question to you, Andrew, is, and you got you know, customers, lots of customers, mm -hmm. what do you think is the proper level of CIO engagement with this kind of, with the help desk and this type of work? Is this something that they need to be involved in continually? Is this something that they need to be aware of but assign out? What, do you, what are you seeing? And I know it'll very greatly depend on size of organizations. We have 50 hospital health systems and we have 300 bed single hospitals. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's all over the place. But what's your, your, your best thought there, your best advice around that or what you're seeing? Well, you, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, a lot of it depends on the size of the organization and how much of a role a CIO plays in the procurement process. So... I would think overall though, the number one area for the CIO to get involved is to set direction. Setting expectations for the quality of service that they expect the organization to be able to deliver. Because once a CIO decides that, hey, we want a certain customer satisfaction level, we want a certain response time for certain services, then the teams can work backwards and start saying, okay, how do we get there? What tools do we need? What processes do we need? So I, I would say in general, the CIO's role is to set expectations for what, a what kind of service level should be expected and then communicate those with the organization to provide air cover for teams like Matthew's team, where the CIO is able to say, well, we are committed to having an average response, response time of five business hours. So when somebody gets really upset that it didn't happen in 45 minutes, that CIO runs interference and says, listen, okay, we, we know that you'd like that to be faster. Are we committed to five hours? So we responded to you in 2.5. If we would like to improve that, here are some steps we could take, but it's likely going to cost more time or, or, or require more resources. So can we fund it? So I think that's a CIO's role, setting the expectations so the teams know that what the target is and then running cover for them and provide, providing air cover for those teams. Very good audience question. Have you considered project planning functionality as part of the help desk software? A ticket is becoming a small project, or a ticket is a small project. Andrew, I, I think you said you offer that. Am I wrong? Uh, we do. We do have project portfolio management. And, and certainly where I see that most often, uh, give you an example, is when somebody says, I need a new report to make a business decision, one of the customers. And the, the requester doesn't know whether that new report is going to take 20 minutes in a reporting solution and can be published out, or maybe there is no reporting solution and we need a data warehouse and we need a reporting solution on top of it to make that happen. One is clearly a service request, the other is clearly a project. So what we see is sometimes those requests come in and they escalate. So having the ability to manage that work in the same platform, especially if, if certain types of resources are doing both, they have a, a, a hand in providing service and they have a hand in executing on projects, it's certainly valuable to have that in one place so that they have one place to go. But also from a reporting standpoint, it's much better to have a full picture of the work that IT is doing rather than, oh, I've got some of the work over here and some of the work over here. It's really hard to tell a story from a management perspective without it. A right. quick tag onto that. Um, we we are using portfolio and project management within Team Dynamics. Um, when and, and it kind of goes back to my being able to scale. When we first started this, we did not even have a PMO. We didn't have a project management office. My my predecessor is now kind of the lead IT project manager, and we've been able to scale with. Um, team dynamics and use that and there's functions even within team dynamics that I can take a ticket and I can turn it into a project and that happens more often well maybe not more often than people expect but it happens quite often where like you said it's a quick you know Andrew said I need a report well that report takes a lot of people and a lot of hands so that may end up being you know quite a few hours worth of work into you know days into weeks kind of thing. Mm -hmm. 
All right, let's do a lightning round of final thoughts. Uh, we're just about out of time. Um, David, any final thoughts, parting words of wisdom to folks on the call? I guess, um, you know, when you're looking for a, um, a ITSM system, project management system, make sure you're, you find something that, that does everything you wanted. Every, as we mentioned before, there are some things, not every system is created equally. Um, you know, some are going to do things that others don't, but um, I guess you're going to have to sit down with your team and figure out what is best for your organization and what your needs are. Perfect. Matthew? Uh, I have three points. So preparation, empathy, and trying something new. Preparation, there's no, there's no um, trade-off for that. Do as much work as you can ahead of time. Um, I think one of the things that benefited us in the pandemic and certainly with Team Dynamics is doing as much as we could ahead of time. Realistically, that's not going to happen. You know, nobody planned for a year-long pandemic that happens once in a century, but any work that you can do ahead of time is beneficial. From a help desk standpoint and from kind of speaking on the university standpoint, having empathy, whether it be at the help desk, whether it be anywhere, just understanding that things happen. I think we've all been there where we got the dog barking in the Zoom or the kid crying in the in the background. It's it's life now. You know, If people are empathetic and understand that, um, goes back to the helping on the help desk. Nine-minute phone calls are because some but he probably has to go, hold on, I got to go change a diaper real quick. Let me call right back kind of thing. Um, the world kind of having that empathy is helped out tremendously. And the last one is just trying something new. You know, we we were using the same ticketing solution and, and non-ITSM for 10 plus years. And you have to try new things. The, the, the customers of today's age are too familiar with technology and doing the same thing you did last year, the same thing you did last decade is a recipe for mediocrity. You need to try new things because your customers are gonna be demanding that and they're gonna want you to be able to scale with you from a technology standpoint. So don't be afraid to try new things. Excellent, excellent stuff, Matthew. Andrew? I really have two themes for people to consider given the content of this webinar. The first is self-service. How, how do we improve those abilities and automation? If you think about those two things, how do we self-serve more people and maintain satisfaction? How do we automate more services and maintain satisfaction? That's a good place to start. Wow, really, really good stuff. Um, fantastic, I've, uh, I've learned quite a bit and uh, I love the empathy angle on the help desk. I think uh, that's just so important. It's, Really, really good. So uh, that's about all we had time for today regarding continuing education. You could use the final slide in this deck. You'll get an email when the archive recording of this event is ready. If you want to sponsor an event with us, you can reach out to Nancy Wilcox from our team. And you can go to our website to view upcoming webinars. I want to thank our panel, a tremendous panel. Very, uh, Thank them very much. David Mitchell, Matthew Wright, and Andrew Graff. And I want to thank Team Dynamics very much for sponsoring this event. I think you've really helped some people on the call today, and I want to thank our attendees for coming. And with that, everybody have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.